Well, today is the last Sunday in Advent. And let me remind you that we'll be having three Christmas weekend services next weekend. There'll be 4.30 and 7 o'clock on Christmas Eve with the band. And on Christmas Day, there's going to be just one service, and that'll be at 9 o'clock. And uh, Craig and his daughter Marn are going to be doing some special music for us. We'll have a carol sing at all three of the services, and the message will be the same at all three of the services. The message next week will be, is Jesus a big baby? It'll wrap up our, our series on questions about Jesus. On the first Sunday in Advent, we asked if Jesus is a white elephant. And then the next week, we asked if Jesus is a, Jesus is a trivia answer. Last week, the question was, is Jesus an accessory to murder? And this Sunday, we ask, is Jesus an animal lover? He must be, right? I mean, there are animals all over the Christmas story. Earlier this month, our five-year-old grandson, Eli, uh, and Tammy and I went to the living nativity at St. John's Lutheran Church here in town. Anybody else uh, go to that? Um, well, it's, it's quite a sight. Uh, the stable was set up in the yard across the street from the church, and we all sat on hay bales for the reenactment of the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. And there were real sheep and a little horse contentedly munching on hay, a manger to lay the baby Jesus in, and a donkey for Mary to ride. Eli was fascinated by the animals, but the highlight of the evening was when the three wise men came in with a real live camel. Now, it was a little cantankerous, as camels can be, and I don't blame him. It was freezing that night. But what a sight for a five-year-old to be just feet away from a real camel. Animals are, are the highlight of the Christmas story for kids. Over the years, uh, my wife Tammy has put together quite a collection of nativity sets. And they're all different. Some of them look like the traditional Renaissance figures, and, and others are modern and a, and a bit impressionistic. And, and some are made of wood, some are made of plastic, some are pottery. But the one thing they have in common is animals. Or rather, missing and broken animals. See, when our boys were little, they loved to play with the nativity set animals. They could care less about wise men and shepherds and even that, that little spot that was the baby Jesus in the manger, but they wanted to play with the sheep and the camels. And it's the animals that, that make the nativity scene attractive. Every kid loves animals at Christmas. They even like to be animals at Christmas. Uh, if you were here last week for the, the Christmas pageant that the Rez kids put on, some of them were dressed up like cows and sheep and dogs and, and a donkey. I got to play a donkey once in a Christmas pageant, or rather half a donkey. I was the, uh, the one that had to crawl into the costume and hold on to the waist of the kid in front of me who got to play the head of the donkey. And then, and then we sang a verse from that old Christmas carol, The Friendly Beast. Do you know that? Do you know that song? 
Greg hit it. I said the donkey joined with shaggy and brown. I carried his mother uphill and down. I carried his mother to Bethlehem town. I said the donkey shaggy and brown. I've got a mic on today, but I didn't have a mic back then. So I don't think anybody actually heard me singing as I, I hung on to the back of the kid in front of me. <laughs> but Jesus must be an animal lover, right? I mean, otherwise, why are there so many in the Christmas story? Even that most famous Christmas animal of all, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You know, you do, I used to do a lot of Christmas sing-alongs with kids and, in schools and in church and such, and, and they wanted to sing that song over and over and over again. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny nose, and if you ever saw it, you'd even say it glows, and then they'd yell, like a light bulb. <laughs> ah, everybody likes Rudolph. But of course, we all know that Rudolph is pretend. He is not real. He wasn't with Jesus in the Bethlehem stable. But then neither were the sheep. No matter how many there were at St. John's living nativity this year, or how many you have in your nativity set at home, there were no sheep in the stable, or at least none that came with the shepherds that we know of. And read carefully Luke's story, the account of the shepherds' visit to the baby Jesus. The angel told them the good news as they were watching over their flocks by night. And the Bible says they hurried to the village, or as the, the King James Version puts it, and they came with haste. And if you were waking up a flock of sheep and trying to herd them down into a village to get to the manger, well, you are not making haste. Nowhere does the Bible say that any sheep actually came with the shepherds that night. They probably left them in the field and returned to them after seeing Christ. In fact, that's what verse 20 in the New Living Translation says. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they'd seen and heard. It was just as the angel had told them. The shepherds went back to their flocks. So far as we know, the baby Jesus had no sheep. But of course, what about the camels? I mean, we all know that the wise men rode in on camels. They're in every nativity scene. I have a, a Christmas tie, maybe you'll see it at Christmas, with camels all over it, with wise men on them. They are in all of our nativity scenes as well, although the camels are the ones that uh, are the first casualties when the kids play with them. Their long necks and their long legs, they, they just don't last like some of the, the squatter animals like the sheep. 
So, if these wise men came in on camels, where do we find that? Well, we don't really find it in the Bible. If they were kings, like we sometimes describe them as, then they would have probably ridden in on horses, probably Arabians. Kings at that time didn't ride camels. They rode great majestic horses. But we don't know if they rode in on horses either because the Bible is silent about that. Here's some of the descriptions from the second chapter of Matthew about their visit. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. They came to see the king. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him, and they opened their treasures and pre presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. No mention anywhere of how they actually got to Jesus. For all we know, they took an Uber. I mean, maybe they did ride camels, but, but there's no mention of them in the manger scene with Jesus in Bethlehem. Well, at least there was a donkey, right? I mean, the Friendly Beast song tells us that. And I didn't play the back half of a donkey for nothing. It was 70 miles or more from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So surely Mary rode a donkey. But the Bible doesn't tell us that either. It only says that they went there. In Luke chapter 2, we find, And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Mary and Joseph were young and poor, and the poor usually walked to get anywhere. Now, it's possible that Joseph borrowed a donkey, but it's really not mentioned in the story. In fact, for all we know, there weren't any animals that were there when Jesus was born, even though it was a stable. Kids and grown-ups, we all love those animals. That's why we like to play them in Christian Christmas pageants and, and play with them in nativity sets and go to living nativity plays and freeze our fingers off so we can see those donkeys and sheep and camels. We don't go to those things to see the shepherds or wise men. But as fun as animals are, Jesus was not born in a stable because he loved animals, but because there were no other options. The regular places for people to stay were all full. Mary and Joseph had to make do with a place where animals ate and did the other things that animals do. It was about as far away as you can imagine of where you would expect a king to be born or the Messiah to be born. And yet there he was. He humbled himself 
taking the lowest place, the most uncomfortable place. And he did it from the day he was born until the day he died. He came fully as one of us into all our brokenness and pain. And that's why he was there in the manger. Not because he was an animal lover. The world rejected him at his birth, rejected him as he lived and taught, and rejected him as he died. Fulfilling the prophecy of Psalm 118 that, that the fourth chapter of Acts quotes. Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. In Jesus, God came to be with us, Emmanuel. But Jesus wasn't born in a barn because he was an animal lover, but because he loves you and me. That's what took him to that barn. Now that being said, Jesus does love animals and all creation. In the very first chapter of the Bible, when God creates the rocks and the trees, the birds and the bees and everything else, uh, in all of creation, God leans back and says, it's all good. Now, not just the people, but all of the things God made, all of creation. Now, of course, people sinned and began to mess things up, and creation suffered. And so God started over with Noah's flood. But he saved Noah's family and some of every kind of animal, too. The Lord does love animals. And, and afterwards, in, in Genesis 8, we hear God's promise to the people and to the animals that God will never again bring such complete destruction of the earth. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Over and over again in the Bible, we see how the Lord loves animals, loves his creation. Psalm 50 says, For every wild animal of the forest is mine, the cattle of a, on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the air, and all that moves in the field is mine, says God. Psalm 36 says, Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. And Jesus himself says in, in Luke chapter 12, Are not five sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. 
Animals are a part of God's creation. And so, yes, Jesus loves animals because he loves all creation. Remember a few weeks ago when we talked about the return of Christ, the second advent, the second coming? We look, we look forward to that day just like the prophets looked forward to his coming in Bethlehem. And while there may or may not have been any animals at his first coming, the Bible says that when he returns, all the critters will be excited about his second coming. For Christ to restore all the brokenness, including the brokenness in creation that came about because of our sin. Romans chapter 8 says, For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse because of us people. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Jesus comes to save all creation from sin and death, me and you and the animals too. So if putting animals in your nativity set helps you to remember that, then go ahead. The more the merrier. I heard a mother of a mother whose child was unusually quiet one Advent season. And, and parents, you know what that means when it's quiet, too quiet. So she got worried and she went to look for, for her child. And she found her child adding all of the toy animals that they had to the nativity scene. And so not only were there camels and donkeys and sheep, now there was a jaguar, a zebra, polar bears, and elephants. And she was going to tell her child to, to, to get them out of there. There were no jaguars at the birth of Jesus. But then she remembered, we really don't know what animals were there. And if her child wanted to picture those animals bowing down before Jesus... And celebrating his coming, well, that really was true enough because all creation welcomes its creator. So the jaguar and the polar bears sat there all through Advent, silently bowing down to Jesus as a reminder of creation. And as her, her kids got older, they began to, to put animals every year different strange animals in, into that nativity scene. It became a family tradition. And they talked about, about God's love for creation and how they could do something to love creation as well. Something they could do for our planet as a Christmas gift to Jesus. It became their tradition. And you know, that's not a bad idea to think about what we could do for our world as a Christmas gift to Jesus. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. So how might we have compassion on all God has made this year, people and the planet? It's something to think about this week. And if you want to put donkeys and sheep and camels in your nativity set, well, don't worry. The kids love them. And we don't know that they weren't there. 
And if you go further and you add some of those, uh, those animals like zebras and elephants as a reminder of God's love for creation, well, I guess that's okay too. But I'd draw the line at Rudolph. <laughs> you know, Rudolph isn't real. And there is nothing as real as the love of God in Jesus Christ for you and me. And that's something to celebrate this year. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this wonderful world. We thank you for, for animals, some of whom live in our homes as our pets, some of whom live in our stables and barns, some of whom live in the wild, from majestic elephants to the tiniest insect. They're all a part of your creation. We are grateful for them, Lord. Help us to remember to love your world as much as you do. And help us to remember even more how much you love us. That you would come into our broken world to be born in a, in a place that, that most people would turn away from. You came there for us, to give your life for us, and you will come again. So help us to remember that too, that you'll return to restore all your people and all your creation. We look forward to that day, and we give you praise this day. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>